0: welcome back everyone happy 2023 and here's to an intentional and mindful beginning to a new year i hope that everyone had a plenty of rest rejuvenations and resets given we all live in this capitalistic society of more more and more era and as we all know that rest or as andrew Huberman, a neuroscientist from stanford says strategic non-lazy reset I wanted to start the first episode of 2023 by pondering these three really important questions. Did you know that life is mostly comprised of the mundane and boring? How do you find content in life, especially in America, where everything's about discontentment? What do you think about spirituality in 2023? This week's guest is Joshua Greenfield, and I am extremely excited to have him back on for round two. Yashua is a YouTube influencer, barefoot advocate, published author, and an intuitive musician. Yashua is a modern spokesman for barefoot culture and living in the flow. Before he embarked on his spiritual journey, Yashua experienced both fame and success through hosting food shows on MTV channel, going on world tours, and the former YouTube channel Brothers Green which was later rebranded to Pro Home Cooks by his brother with nearly 4 million subscribers. Yashua truly lives in the flow. He recently quit Instagram permanently despite having a verified Instagram account with a large following. Yashua is one of the very few humans that has immunity to the current social proof era that I personally know of. Expect to learn about Yashua's decision to quit Instagram permanently, why spirituality, Unfortunately, is now a marketplace in 2023, how to destroy the false self, why life is like a wave, how to live in the flow, and much, much more. Warning, I am not responsible for any goosebumps moments, feelings of enlightenment, and delusions of temporary levitations from tuning in with this episode. And I'm so excited to kickstart 2023, this new seasons of gratitude, blessings, and intentionality with one of my favorite humans in this planet, Joshua Greenfield.
1: People think they can create this self. The more money they have, the harder they work, the more jobs and cool things they do, that they're eventually gonna to get to the place that they're trying to get to. But I took a kind of a reverse path in a way, which is just the destruction of the self. Because when you destroy the false self, well, then you just exist. And there's no like self that you're trying to hold up. And it's that false self that makes us Work, work, work,
0: burnout, 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 and just chase our tail. Discover More Podcast is for introspective thinkers with growth mindsets seeking authentic life stories. As a therapist, Benoit Kim highlights the magical relationship between healing and the optimal human experience of what we call life. Here's to mental health being a top priority today and every single day. Let's get this started, Joshua. Welcome back to the show for round two. Hello. So, Joshua, given the 26 different hats that you wear day to day, how would you describe who you are without saying what you do? Because I think the society at large attaches too much of our self-worth to what we do or the titles in front of our names. Yeah, something that comes up
1: is just the concept of like the magic is in the mundane. And that's how my life has been living. Like there's a lot of things that I do, but mostly... I just wake up and tend to our home and my partner and our cat and, you know, bake sourdough bread, go for a barefoot hike, share things that I'm excited about, write books. So it's really less about the specific thing and more about just the presence that I try to bring to every moment and the healing that comes from every moment, if that makes sense.
0: So speaking of magic in the mundane, I think an integral part of our society now is social media. And I just watched your YouTube video from a month ago announcing your grand departure for Instagram for good. How's that going? And could you elaborate more? Speaking of the magic in the mundane? I don't want to make it seem like such a big thing. I feel like people put, they're like,
1: oh, I'm just so you know, I'm taking a social media detox and like, okay, go do it. So I, I didn't want to turn it into a huge thing in terms of like Instagram, but i found that I don't feel great when I like leave the platform and it's not to say that people aren't doing good things on there and that they can't like have sort of impact but for personally for me I just don't see the future of it being necessary enough to put time and energy into and also being here in Colorado and just doing more immersions and in person retreats and stuff I really love that connection you know I've been creating online for the last 10 years and grateful for the opportunity. And also now, like, I think I conditioned myself for years to believe that I needed to use this online medium as the only way to survive and make money and grow a business. And now I'm seeing just other ways of really just being connected to people. And yeah, so Instagram just felt like, okay, it's time to go. It's not really serving me and see what opens up from there. Because when we say no to one thing, we can say yes to other stuff.
0: I want to highlight something you talked about in terms of whenever you do take a break from social media, Instagram, or One may, you don't always feel good. And of course, that comes down to recovery and rest and reset. I want to go into one of your projects. I know that you do host sacred rest retreats and overnight immersions at your very home that you're in now in Colorado. So why must rest be a non-negotiable in America where we glorify work, work, work till you die and rest is for the dead mindset. Well, I'm already dead. So (laughs) that's why I'm resting. (laughs) I guess that plays into the concept
1: of, you know, in life, I saw somebody post the other day, and they were talking about like being self made. And I just thought that's from a different context, from the context of the no self, being self made is a really interesting way of saying like, I am self made, because you think about it, everybody is self made, we have this idea of self, this idea of identity, like, yeah, you're, you're the collection of all these different things and ideas and beliefs and societal pressures and constructs. And I always find that people think they can create this self, the more money they have, the harder they work, the more jobs and cool things they do, that they're eventually going to get to the place that they're trying to get to. But I took a kind of a reverse path in a way, which is just the destruction of the self. Because when you destroy the false self, Well, then you just exist and there's no like self that you're trying to hold up. And it's that false self that makes us work, 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 burn out, burn out, burn out and just chase our tail. Um, So what a lot of the sacred rest retreats that my partner and I have been doing here, we have this beautiful home, five bedrooms and people come and just get to stay with us. And a lot of it's really integrating a lot of the messages and lessons and healings that people have had. You know, I'm sure as you know, like there's a lot going on in the psychedelic world. And a lot of people are doing, you know, ayahuasca and these like deep plant medicines, um, which is can be really powerful and beautiful. But the issue is often that if you are constantly in this state of seeking and always go, oh, I know people that are like doing ceremonies, you know, a few times a month. They're going doing ayahuasca and they're getting their head blasted off. And then they hit this point where it's really hard to integrate into life because, yes, you can have these great, wonderful visions and things. And I've had those experiences. But if you don't know how to integrate them into your daily life, if you don't know how to like bring it back to what is now, you're always going to be chasing and always seeking that great high where, oh, everything makes perfect sense. And I'm living in this magical, psychedelic state. And that's why I talk about the magic of the mundane. We like to just bring people to our home and say, hey, just come here and rest. And, you know, we're going to wake up and we're going to tone. And, yeah, we're going to go sit and spend time in nature and we're going to sing together and we're going to do blindfolded mindful eating sessions and we're going to meditate and things that are a little bit more close to what life can look like. And the reason we call it sacred rest is it's like a chance to rest from that never-ending seeking. Because even the healing journey, which can start out as people might be burnt out and they're like, oh, I need to do healing. But the healing journey can become its own healing trap. And when you get caught in the healing trap, there is no end. Um, And rather I find that the healing when you're present is happening every moment it can happen in an ayahuasca ceremony or it could happen when you're sitting on the toilet in the morning if you're aware of like what you're feeling and the more awareness we bring in the more that the healing just continues to integrate into our body
0: i feel healed every time i use my squatty potty in the bathroom and so every morning i start with the very zen healing moments but i do want to go into what you said in terms of self-made i've made this comment a while ago that no one is self made unless you conjure up your own sperm and egg. Period. All of us walk on the shoulders of the giants and those pioneers who walked before us, whether they're the elders or grandparents, parents, and so on. So I just want to make that connection because people who are proud of them saying that they're self made, I sense some ego. So, in that aspect, I want to ask you a question. Recently, with my space, with psychedelic space and spiritual healing and mental health, I've came across some narcissistic spiritual folks who who are very fluid with their words. They know all the buzzwords to say, and they're extremely spiritual from the outside, but they're narcissistic. So, how does and why does ego attach itself to spirituality? I like to remind people that
1: spirituality, for the most part, like especially in present day, is just a marketplace. Because when you realize, when you've kind of gotten beyond all these false layers that you're taught in the egoic things that you attach to, spirituality is in everything. Nothing is more spiritual than anything else. And what happens, and I'm living in a place right now, Boulder is one of the most spiritual, you know, you go for a walk down the street and you run into somebody and it's like, it's not just like, oh, hey, how's it going? It's like, ah, just let's take five minutes to do a hard hug and then tell me about your you know, your deepest desires. And you're like, I'm just going to grab some, you know, some bread or whatever. So I live in a place where I'm exposed to that kind of stuff a lot. And something that's really been clear to me is, it's just like anything else, because it's a marketplace. People think, oh, if I buy these crystals, if I, yeah, if I grow out my beard, if I do certain things, then I'm more spiritual. But then you miss out on all like in the magic of the mundane that everything can be spiritual. And so what I see is like, when I go to the market, there might be someone working that's checking me out for my groceries, and like I can see them as just oh, they're just working at a random job and they're not spiritual it's like and then I'm shutting off like their soul and that connection to that person and sometimes i've I've had conversations with people that would never be they wouldn't even consider themselves spiritual, but they just have a deep connection to their self and it's like they might not dress in the flowy garb and have the beard and all the things oftentimes they're either as much or like more than a lot of these people that are claiming to be extremely spiritual because there are a lot of people that are very good at marketing and they're they're like okay this is the new age cool thing to do this is how i'm going to sell my business and whether they're conscious of that or not it's still coming from that same place so just because spirituality right now is cool and it's the end thing people are still people and if they're being driven by ego And desires, and maybe they do an ayahuasca ceremony, and and, you know, ayahuasca told them that they're God and they're here to create the new earth. (laughs) Well, and that happens a lot, trust me. I meet a lot of people that are in that space, and it's like, oh, I'm so to go back to your point, there is no self made in that way. We're all connected, everything is a piece of everything else. And I'll admit that I've had some living in a place like this, there's been levels of frustration. And I've actually, my newest book that I recently published, I talk a lot about this concept of like, When I'm in a conversation with somebody and having a talk like this about people that are maybe more spiritually narcissistic or unaware, but claiming to be something, to me, it's like a weeding process because we're all part of the same journey. We're all reflections of each other. So if there's a frustration within me, I'm not like having some external judgment. I'm just seeing something that's not in my own resonance. And I'm talking about it with somebody else just to get some level of clarity.
0: Yeah. I love that the truth that we all walk this path together whether you're aware or unaware of, because I think often, because life's seasonal, it abs and flows, and we go through the dark seasons and the light seasons. And I think a lot of us, when we're in that dark seasons of life, we feel this utter consuming darkness. We feel like we are all alone in this path of life. Often though, we are never alone. We always have those folks, families or friends or otherwise who are cheering us on silently often but we are seldomly ever alone. So I just want to highlight that on a messenger board really quickly. So Yashua, would you then define spirituality as a path to find oneself? Because as you said, a lot of people are allergic to this language because it's over-applied on Instagram and so on. I'm cautious
1: to use. The word spirituality, I think, has such a charge to it right now. So I don't even know what the word you would use. But I think if you're thinking about like, Oh, I feel like I'm a spiritual person, I'm connected to something deeper, just continuing to look into what that is continuing to get to know who you actually are. And if you have a belief about yourself, it might feel so strong. And it might feel like this is I know this for sure. But keep digging and keep digging, and keep digging and keep digging until you get to a place where you've actually questioned everything that you believe. And that's not necessarily an easy process. But what I find is it's not like a choice. When I went through that process, when I went through my awakening, I was questioning everything. And even when I thought I was done and like, oh, this is it. I thought it was this, but it's this. Well, then a week later, it's like, well, I thought it was this, but and you know what I mean? And it keeps going until you hit this place of realizing that everything is symbolic in life. Everything is made up in this dualistic world. So stepping away from dualism and stepping into this non-dualistic space of awareness to me, that's almost more potent than the word spirituality, only because people hear spirituality and they automatically conjure up, you know, whether it's Buddhism or mantra, certain things, um, which can be a good thing or it can set us in the wrong direction.
0: Yeah, I think the West, by West, I mean America, has this unique power to dilute all these words like holistic health, love, and now spirituality. And I'm on this journey to reclaim love because I view God as love and love as God. And I want to reclaim that language. So I use that often on my show. But yeah, I appreciate what you said. Because uh, because I think often a lot of us are meaning-making machines. In the clinical space for psychotherapy, we talk about you want to make meaning out of circumstances of life or what happens to you. And that's empowerment. Because you get to choose the lens that you're equipped with to view the world through. Because world is filled with unknown and uncertainties. And nobody ever said the world is full of rainbows and peaches and sunshine because it is a seasonality of that so in terms of digging deeper and deeper as you alluded to because from our last conversation a year ago i remember you talked about your awakening process in your car just journaling writing down just streams of consciousness and scratching all that and rewrite for hours and weeks and weeks on end how do you yashua destroy the old self as a pragmatic takeaway for the listeners like I wasn't someone who's was like, oh, spirituality looks
1: so cool. I want to like go on that journey. This is my calling. Like it just happened to me and everything and everywhere I looked like everything was bullshit and everything wanted to burn to the ground. So I just had to do it and question everything beyond like anything that I didn't even think it was just like, oh, these are the assumptions that I had. I had to question them. So I think there is a huge process that can involve journaling and writing down ideas and thoughts. And then there's also your body too, right? Because we have our mind that's like has all these thoughts and ideas. And then our body is also conditioned in a way, the way that we stand, the way that we move, the beliefs that we have about how we can heal or not heal ourselves. So I just continually to question everything. And what I've seen is like, we have this moment, like awakening is actually pretty simple. And I think it's pretty commonplace, but most people you would never know because they have some kind of awakening and then they they think they're crazy or they don't want to tell anybody. So they don't think that they're crazy. But awakening just kind of happens. It's like, there's a feeling where you realize in life that things aren't the way that they seem. And we get clues everywhere. So I think we have this moment where we wake up and we see that life wasn't the way that we thought it was. And then from there, you can spend your life adjusting to that. So when I look at, for, to go back to the spiritual thing, when I look at spiritual practices, take somebody who like meditates. If you felt really called, you could spend 10 hours a day meditating and you could get really good at it and be really slow and silent, and still, and peaceful, and somebody might see that person as more enlightened, as if there's like a scale of enlightenment is more or less, right? But that's just a skill, and a tool that you can develop, that may or may not be important to you. So what happens is you see a lot of people that are maybe gurus, and there's these assumptions of who they are, because a certain way, and they talk a certain way, it's like, but these are just other characters that we can sort of create. And so once you've woken up and realized that Everything is this illusion, everything is meaning making. Well, then you can create whatever meaning you want, but in the undercurrent, you know that it could change in any moment and that's okay. Cuz there's nothing wrong to me with slipping into a character, playing a character, but it's whether we believe ourselves to be that character or not that changes everything.
0: Yeah, that reminds me of what a meditation teacher, Emily Fletcher said. She talks about the point of meditation is not to be good at meditation, but to improve your life. And I think a lot of us have this misconceptions that, oh, you have to get to a certain place through certain vehicles, but then the journey is what matters, not really the destinations. And of course, that's a trope, right? But for any saying to withstand the test of time for eons and thousands of years, that's truth. But people don't like truth. People like to uh, overcomplicate things at times.
1: And that's actually where facts come in. Facts are not truth. i think in our world right now somebody says well like so and so believes this or the leading theory right now or it's been proven and those things might have value but we can't forget that things are always disproven so how can we live in a state right now believing something and then also knowing that in a month if it's disproven well then what does that mean it's the same kind of idea like i can i can know something about myself and be so clear on it but if in a month i discover that actually that doesn't serve me anymore or that that practice or that idea wasn't true, it's like, cool, let it go. Because everything is symbolic. Nothing's solid. Everything is transient. So I'm never saying this is the truth for sure. And if it's not the truth, then my whole life's going to crumble apart and that's going to be it. That's just what's serving me right now. Same with practices. People are like, what's your morning practice? It changes all the time. I'm not someone who's like, I need to wake up and I need to drink this thing at this time and do this thing. And it's like every day I wake up and I tune into what feels right. And there are days where I sleep longer and there are days where I'm up at 4am and I'm you know, doing movement and all kinds of stuff. um, Because I'm just tuning into what wants to be served in that moment for myself.
0: Yeah, I think the biggest struggle that I see as a clinician in the mental health space is over-identification. People over-identify with their feelings and thoughts. And there's a saying going around on the web now that says, perception is reality. That's simply false. Perception is perception and reality is reality. Because our perceptions are often distorted based on our trigger points, unattended trauma, emotionality, X, Y, and Z. Any thoughts there for you? Yeah, actually
1: something that's been coming up a lot recently and I'm curious your perspective on it in, in the psychotherapeutic world is I think there's nothing wrong with identifying. Let's say like you're the victim, or you're survivor of something, traumatic experience. I think there's nothing wrong with identifying as that experience because it allows us to embody it, to go through it, to work through it. But when somebody labels themselves as like, I am a trauma survivor, and then they stay in that label forever, I think that's when it starts to create an issue. It's like, you know, I was told I had ADHD as a kid and I could have stayed in that label. And some people, it's been really helpful for them. And then they're like, no, it's good to know this because I know who I am and X, Y, Z. And for a while, I really believed myself to be this you know ADHD, attention deficit, hyperactive disorder kid. Um, But then when I started questioning that, eventually I let go of the label and I was like, okay, it served a purpose to have some sort of framework for how maybe society sees me or to understand myself better, how I work. But then I was able to drop the whole thing altogether. And I think there is, for me, there's this kind of balance. So I'm curious your thoughts too on on what you see in that space.
0: Yeah, I think it's a very fine line between playing victimhood versus recognizing and that we are often victims to circumstances that's larger than we are because we have to acknowledge and accept as a first step. Of course, AA program, 12-step programs, I'll talk about that. And two, for us to detach and let go, we must accept. So I think acceptance and acknowledging that we are and we do fall victims to circumstances is a first step. But then as you said, once if you over-identify and if you confine of who you are and the essence of who you are to that victimhood, then I think that's when water gets really muddy and that's when you get disempowered and you're giving the power away. Because how can you change if you're not the cause, but the world is at fault? That's what playing victim is, right? It's everyone else's fault except mine. And this is, this may come off as controversial, but once again, it's truth where when bad things happen to us, it's seldomly our fault. But It is our responsibility. And that's what what I mean by own up to our health and life. And we have to own up to it because no one else cares about your life except your own. I love that my friend Eric says, we both love
1: like breaking words down and responsibility is the word people just throw out. And we kind of just like, we just know it almost from a subconscious perspective. But the word responsibility, our ability to respond. It's just so simple, right? But the responsibility is not, Thing we have to take on but it's our ability to respond
0: to how things have happened which are, there's so much power in that yeah it's not easy though what we're saying is simple but it's not easy yeah so actually in that note i want to ask you in terms of now because i talked about you're the modern spokesperson for living in the flow and as you just talked about life is simple in many ways but it's not easy what allows you and what empowers you yashua to really live in the flow Aside from living in a Mecca of spirituality in Colorado. (laughs) Yeah, and if anything, that makes it harder. To go back to this concept
1: of who we believe ourselves to be, because I allowed myself, and whether it was by choice or not, I don't know, but to go through this process of the destruction of the false, I have this undercurrent of knowing how things work and what life is. And if we are creating our life from this very clearly identified self, no matter how confident or how composed or how secure that self is, there's still this undercurrent of, like, at any moment, it could come tumbling. Now, I've already destroyed anything within me. And I like to say that there's only one death. People are always, you know, what, what happens after death? And what do you think it means? And But to me, the only real death is ego death. Because once you've gone through ego death, Well, then you're just a piece of this entire puzzle. Like you were saying before, there's no singular person. We're all connected. Look at a tree. When a tree falls over, the rest of the forest doesn't throw a funeral for it. Forests are kind of like families. And when one tree dies and decomposes, well, it's not actually dead. It's just shifting into something else so that it can support the other trees. So that's kind of the process that I see of this destruction of self. And so many people get worried. about like, oh, the killing of the ego sounds violent and the death of all these things. And I can see how you would hear that. But when you've gone through the process, it's actually this really, like you said, simple, not easy, but a simple and obvious thing where I can still have like human emotions and I can still get scared at times. But I have this underlying knowing that everything is as it should be. And I have this underlying awareness that I am just a piece of this gigantic puzzle and that there is no separation. So by being and living in that state, any little incremental fears that come up, I've just trained myself to go right back to like, oh, why am I, what's the point of that fear? How is it actually serving me? And that keeps me in this state of flow because you start to develop this deep connection to how the universe works. And it's like, I kind of sit back and I look for what is pulling my inspiration. What wants to happen here? Same with like big decisions. I don't actually think I'm making those decisions and sitting down and writing out lists of should it be this or that. I'm just like listening. And when the symbolically, when things present themselves, well, I just am ready to show up. It's like a surfer. You know, most of the time they're just waiting for the wave. And when they catch it, they ride it as long as they can. And then they come crashing down and and then they get back on. They wait for the next wave. And the more you do that, eventually you hit this place. If you see really good surfers, they literally, they don't even crash. They just like peacefully get on their board and they come down and then they turn right back around. And it's like, that's, that's an amazing thing. And we're not always meant to be inspired, I don't think. Um, but it's like catching a wave. You prepare and prepare and prepare and you're ready and ready. So when that wave comes, you catch it and you ride it out for as long as it goes. And then when the wave ends, you go back down. And the more you do that process, the less you get your ass kicked and get slammed by the waves, then the more you just get to come back down very peacefully. And then you wait and you wait and you wait until the next one comes. Um, I used to think I needed to be inspired all the time. So I would do all these practices and like, oh, I got to do, you know, whether it's breath work or I have to do this mindful thing to get myself in this like peak state. And maybe there's something to be said about that. But there are days where I just want to like lay in bed or I'm, I'm just low energy. And like, I could have a thing to get me up into high energy, but I actually think I'm pushing back that inspiration further and further. So what I do is I just sit and I wait. And, some, and I just know, and I've reminded myself and trained myself to know, you know what? you're just not inspired right now, But I know when it comes, I'm ready for it. And I design my life in a way where when the inspiration's there, like you strike when the
0: iron's hot.: Yeah, I love that analogy because in real life, when certain surfers resist that wave, or they try to battle or combat the force of nature, quite literally, they get destroyed. Your ass we spent some time in Mexico like a year and a half ago.
1: And I noticed this really interesting thing with surfing. I wasn't surfing because as a barefooter, my like my <laughs> brain always goes to like, okay, before I do something that requires equipment, like let me at least see if there's like a free version of this. And if not, cool. So I was seeing all these body surfers and I was like, this is amazing. I don't need to have a surfboard. I don't need to be part of like the whole surfing clan. Cause where we were, it was like a top surf beach in the world. And I was just on my own watching. I would watch, 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 and I would go in the water and, you know, and and just start to play around with the waves. And I was noticing like a lot of getting into body surfing. Step one is like being comfortable with the waves and the way that they break and knowing how to just very peacefully go under them. Even if you get smacked around, instead of like freaking out and trying to take a breath and sucking in, in water, just like learning how to be really peaceful and really calm. And then I would get smashed around, but it was like this very flowing kind of like, you know, and I. I could train my breath so I'd hold my breath. You know, I could hold my breath for however long I needed to, to stay under. And then when the wave's gone, I pop back up and I'm like, cool. And it was just such a shift um, to realize that it doesn't have to be this like scary, intense thing. I can just roll with it.
0: Yeah. The one you dancing in the air will be a perfect shorts. Mm Yeah. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I feel like being fluid and really surrendering to the greater force that's beyond us because life is larger than we are. Even the idea that we can exert influence over life, that's just nonsense. We can't. We're just infinite floating stardust, one of eight billions that happened for our parents to meet at a certain time and space for us to be conceived and given birth to. We didn't even choose to be born. So if we didn't even choose our birth, how can we ever control life? So I just want to highlight that. But with your ability to... Listen and tune into the music and harmony of universe that you just talked about. I sense this message where you're able to resist a hedonistic treadmill. The idea that we always revert back to the means. What I mean by that is when we get a fancy new house, a new car, a new promotion, we feel ecstatic for maybe a few months, a few moments, and then we go back to the baseline. Ferrari is only cool for the first year. the second year is just a car that you own, and your eyes and your Mindset is immediately to the next goalpost. That's why the goalpost keeps moving, right? A lot of the public figures talks about that. But how do you view this, and how are you able to uh, counter or resist the hedonistic treadmill that most humans fall prey to? One of my old
1: bandmates, Tim, first told me this, and I've kind of interpreted my own version of it. But the basic idea is that a goal is something that gets you from one place to another, right? Like, so it's not—it's good to have if there's something that's like driving you. It can be great. But recognize that people, the reason people say it's the journey, not the destination, is because by the time you've taken that journey, you're a completely new person. You've learned all these things about yourself. And when you get to the goal, suddenly the goal is irrelevant because you're a different person. So it doesn't mean that the goal is bad. But it's when we attach ourselves to thinking, okay, the reason I'm doing this is for the goal. And I'll give you an example. When I moved to Denver and I got really into um, growing food, I always had a passion for it. I always had like a deep desire to want to grow my own food, but I was coming from that New York City energy. So now for me gardening, it's like, yeah, of course, harvesting your fruit and your berries and your herbs is a great thing, but I appreciate and enjoy every step of it. Because I went on that journey of thinking I needed to like, oh, once I have these fruit trees in the ground and I have fruit everywhere, this is going to be great. And I thought that that was the answer and then reminded myself in presence that it wasn't. So that's an example of how like, there's nothing wrong with setting a goal or you could say, hey, I want to start a company and be CEO of the company or I want to make a million dollars, whatever, cool. But can we, by the time we make a million dollars or start to get in that direction, can we continue to check ourselves and say, is it really about that? Does that actually matter? You know when when Brothers Green hit a million followers, like there was a time where I really thought like having a million subscribers would be the coolest thing, like, oh my God, like a million we'll like we'll at least have a million dollars, right? You know, like I had all these ideas of what that meant and we'll influence all these people and and then by the time we like you know we hit ten thousand and then fifty thousand, and well, if we just have two hundred thousand and then by the time we hit like five hundred thousand, I was already starting to feel like, huh, eh. and then when we hit a million, it just didn't even it wasn't exciting because I was like, oh this is just a superficial number it doesn't mean anything every moment that i am inspired and i'm creating and i'm sharing that's that's where the juiciness is that's where the magic is um so if you're someone out there that has like this goal and you're really going after it and you're excited about it and you're sure about it cool like i wouldn't say to just question that and walk away but continue to be in the listening of why what's really driving you and know that when you get there and when you and you achieve this goal, if it doesn't feel the way you thought it would feel, that doesn't mean you didn't learn something. It doesn't mean that it wasn't exactly what you needed. It's just that the goal is kind of irrelevant. we just like pointing a finger up to the stars. Like we don't really know what's out there. Maybe somebody wants to go out and look, but what is the process of to actually go out and look? That's a heck of a journey
0: right there. Yeah, my brain is splitting into like four different directions. I think life is a process of balancing What I mean by that is, as you said, a lot of us often forget this really important nuanced fact that competency and skill sets compound over time. What that means is beyond hitting that goalpost, since direction matters, being intentional matters, at the same time, what allows you to morph and transform and evolve into a new version of you, a better version of you, is through the compounding process of the journey. Through that, your skill sets compounds, your competency compounds, networking, all these things. On the other side, David Cho, a prominent artist, he is actually one of the wealthiest artists out there through getting $300 million from Facebook stocks in the early days, and his art is great. He talks about the process porn. He says that people like us, who are personal development junkies for all the optimizations, mindset, all these things we fall into the other trap, which is everything's about process, process, process. How do you view those two dichotomy or how do you balance that personally? Because process matters. But then if we're not careful, like people who are wired the way we do, we could fall trapped to what David Chill fell under and a lot of other great people struggle day to day. When you're following a recipe,
1: you know, or when you're trying to cook something, there is a certain process that people have spent a lot of time figuring out that works right? Um, You know, if you get your pan to a certain heat and you add oil to it and you put the onions on and you don't let, you know, you don't stir them for a certain amount of time, you create the mired reaction. And But all these things, whatever your destination is for the actual recipe you're trying to create, if you're attached to that recipe because you tried it before and somebody made it and you loved it and you're trying to make it, well, yeah, like knowing the process can be obviously really helpful. But I've learned everything from making mistakes. Everything I've ever learned about cooking is from screwing something up. And it came early on when I realized one day, I remember actually, I was like living in Brooklyn doing the brother's green things. I was probably pretty high. And I was like, I was like, I'm going to make some chocolate chip cookies, you know? And I was like making these cookies. And I realized I skipped a step and I was like, oh my God, oh no, I put the wrong thing in first. And then it kind of, because I was already in that state of questioning everything. I'm like, well, wait a second. What if like that shift that I made actually makes a better cookie? How do I know? Because everybody's like, this is the, the best chocolate chip cookie or the world's greatest, you know? Um, But that's just marketing stuff. So being in that process of allowing yourself to make mistakes and learn from those mistakes, then you realize mistakes, of course, aren't actually mistakes. So I think having some sense of process and some sense of knowing um, can be helpful. But I'm always staying open to the remembering that I might not actually know the answer. And as long as I don't panic, as long as I don't freak out, well, I'm going to discover something new. And most innovation, it seems, comes from people making mistakes i'm not incorrect on that
0: no i agree the everything i learned about growing the show or interpersonally especially in the relational container with my fiance all my growth as a fiance that she graciously said yes to was because of all the fuck ups i did as a shitty boyfriend prior to that that i learned internalized accepted and improved upon part of me is curious though because this it's such a dance right Because as you said, we can try to adhere to a certain formula and try to replicate that because those are successful and replicated by the masses for a reason. At the same time, be humble and curious enough to actually accept that, wait a minute, the conventional means or the perceived fact may not be such, right? Because Andrew Hubberman, a uh, Stanford neuroscientist, talks about the capital S of science is it is until it is not. That's what science is, right? That's what theories are and humans are flawed.
1: Yeah, and I think science to me is fascinating because in a way, and this might sound controversial, but it can easily slip into a new age religion and the way that people take it to be truth. And this goes back to what I was saying with fact and truth. Everything is until it's not, right? It's the same thing with the earth being flat and then it's round, like for a long time, whatever collectively most people believe is the way. But that doesn't mean that people aren't out there questioning it to continually say, well, is that really the way? And there's nothing wrong with, okay, we all agree that this is the way right now. But if we are in the state of this is it and that's it forever, and if somebody else comes in with some something to disprove it, I'm going to go fight them and say you're an idiot. It's like I'm open to all things because I know science is, it's really good at disproving things, but it's actually not that great necessarily at proving things because it's very hard to do. You can That's why people say, oh, this is the leading theory or it's the way they slip stuff in. Like when you're watching a commercial for a, like a drug or a study or something, it's just like, it's been proven that seven out of 10 people, you know, and it's like, okay, well, maybe those people, but what about me? Like they haven't studied me on my own individual character. Um, so I think the more discerning that we are as humans and the more that we can remember those things, um, it just, that also goes back to creating this flow in life because I'm never stuck on like believing this is who I am to be the same thing with gender. I had to go through a whole process of what is my gender when I kind of broke open and changed a lot of things. And it came back to identity for me. I could have tried to slip into something, but it's like, oh, this, it goes back to the same thing. It's the same thing that the Buddha was talking about 4,000 years ago, um, just in a, a different flavor right now.
0: Yeah, that's like the scientism, where it is a religion where people uphold certain statements or studies that are aligned with their core beliefs. And they worship that on altar. Like, oh, this is the truth. With this, my life is perfect and peachy. And of course, it's all about beliefs. And we you, people believe what they want to believe, period. I want to highlight, I think, the core ethos of what you just said is curiosity. Because without curiosity, none of what you just said is possible. Without curiosity, there is no discerning. There is no updating of a reality map. None of that happens. And of course, as you know, the whole show discover more is predicated on this ability for us to wield the endless curiosity because magic awaits on the other side often. Does any experiences sort of come off top of your head when you wielded that endless curiosity plus humility? What sort of magic happened on the other side? I got really into
1: running last year. I'm not, and never was a runner, was never a marathon runner, never had a desire to run a marathon. It just seemed like the silliest, craziest thing to do. Why would somebody want to run around for, you know, 26 miles? But something kind of came over me and I started training for this marathon. And when I actually completed the marathon, I was the first person to ever attempt this this mountain range barefoot took me like seven hours and 13 minutes and 13 seconds. Again, my lucky number. So what I really walked away with in that experience was like, Oh yes, there's this, there was this egoic piece of me still that like wanted to see if I could do this to want to like prove to myself and honestly to my like dad, who's a podiatrist who was like, you're crazy for trying this. And at the end of the day, I was like, that's not really not what it's about. I'm not a competitive person. Like I just love to be outside. and I love to be connected to nature. And I love sharing what it's like to live more barefoot and to appreciate feet and to love on feet. And it had nothing to do with the fact that I completed it or that it was like, well, this hasn't been done before. All those things are secondary to the fact that like I just love being outside. I love connecting with people and sharing about this. And that was one of a ton of takeaways. Um, but that's the same thing of like, the goal was to complete this marathon. I didn't know if I could do it. I went on this long journey to figure out, to learn more about myself. And, and in the process of actually completing it, I created this whole big social media account on TikTok with you know millions and millions of views and getting to share about being barefoot. I learned more about the way my foot functions. I learned more about breathing properly and maintaining health and fasting and all these things. And that was the exciting part—the getting the medal and completing was like, that was that was cool. But the reason I was like crying at the end of it wasn't because I completed it. It was so much more than that.
0: Yeah. For anyone that's curious about in depthly about Joshua's barefoot journey, which is how I came across his Unilead video that went viral about a year ago, a year and a half ago, that got 10 million views. Uh, please check out episode 88 and 89 I did with Joshua a year ago. Where it's all about his musical journey, his food journey, and barefoot journey, and it's fascinating. And of course, I want to focus on something else for this. So you talked about earlier that flat Earth theories and a lot of these statements and facts that we hold dear to our hearts shift and morph over time. And of course, you're not a flat Earth believer. Uh, maybe you are. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> but how do you withhold yourself from judging and judgment of others when you do come across people that? hold more esoteric and unconventional knowledge and feelings like how do you um deal with those people because i do feel like part of the reason why the world is burning down especially in america every single day it's my cynicism speaking through it comes down to fear insecurity and judgment and a lot of the judgment is misjudgment so i would love to hear your thoughts
1: yeah um I'm not a flat earther. Uh, You'd be glad to know, but I'm also not necessarily a round earther either because I like to think about things quantum. So, I actually in my in my newest book, I'll just say this so I published my fifth book of the conversation series it's called the end of your best friend but it's not available to anyone i only made 25 copies and you have to find it so it's not actually something <laughs> i'm trying to sell <laughs> my favorite book but it, you can't buy it um, but i do talk about this in there where it's easy to think okay it's if you're a flat earther you're crazy and you know i've heard flat earthers talk about all their different theories and they they still believe it you know they they partially see it they're like looking like this but when you look at quantum physics Everything is made of energy and everything exists as a wave of potential. So how can we say anything is really even solid? So to me, it's almost silly to try to, in one sense, debate one or the other. And this is the the reason I'm making this point is because, like you said, with cynicism, we all know we're living in a time where things are incredibly polarized, right? You're Republican, you're Democrat. You know, there used to be a time where it was like, oh, I'm this. Oh, well, I'm that. Oh, cool. Let's talk about it. And now it's like, you you're what? How could you? You're killing people, you know, and it gets crazy. And I like to remind people that there's actually, as the Buddha said, there's a middle path. There's a way right slipped into the middle where you don't have to exist in extremes. It doesn't mean you don't have beliefs. It doesn't mean you're not excited or stand for things, but the the beautiful thing about living in this middle way is that you can actually see things for what they are. I can see somebody who's really angry at somebody else. I don't have to agree with them, but I can recognize, you know what, that could have been me. If I was, if I didn't go on this journey of self-discovery and if I didn't have the right things and support and places to line me up to a place where I could do that discovery and that journey, I may have just been, you know, Joe Schmo, who is really angry that somebody else has a different belief. So I don't think there's a problem if somebody is extreme on either side, but I don't also see how it helps. And to me, like when I think when there's people opposing each other in a strange way they only exist to oppose each other and if you really like step back and look at it the reason they're like extreme left and extreme right is because there, there's you can't have one without the other right they can't just be an extreme right maybe it's like a newton one of newton's laws of you know equal and opposite reaction kind of thing but when you start to see that you're like oh interesting that's just the way things are and that's not right that's not wrong i don't need to tell somebody that they're wrong I'd rather just tend to focus and resonate with people that understand this perspective because me trying to change somebody or get mad at them literally does nothing. What I've actually seen, I can have conversations with people of all walks of life. And that's something I've always, you know, appreciated about myself as being a bit of a chameleon, where in the past it may have harmed me because I was too, I didn't have my own grounding in my own center that I would just be overtaken by other people's beliefs. Now I can actually just see them for who they are. And have a conversation and not be offended or anything like that i can just listen and what i find what's really interesting is no matter what side or extreme you're on most people's deepest desires they all come back to the same thing people want to be loved they want to be seen they want to be appreciated so it really actually doesn't matter what they believe their belief is just their way of trying to get that even if it's misguided
0: yeah that speaks to how grounded you are because that's why i love talking to you because i know a lot of these spiritual folks who are living in the ethers uh too many dmg trips and then their plane departed but they never landed down because they only care about the being part and forgot about the human meat suit we all resided within. but fear is the primary emotions all humans have because fear is what allowed humans to survive until now and anger is often almost always a secondary emotions out of fear and i do view this polarity as value conflict Because, oh, if I agree with a Republican, then who am I? Where is my worth? What's my identity? Conversely, if I agree with the Democrats, the fear comes out, right? That's why I think it's so hard for people to go from rigidity to fluidity because their self-worth and their identity is at stake. And that's the fear piece. So I just want to highlight that. That's why when you you come to terms with
1: what identity actually is, well, then you're not trying to hold on to it and grasp for it because it's it's transient, it's changing, it's always changing.
0: Yeah, and change is the only constant. And I know the tiny amount of quantum physics, please don't ask me any questions, but I do know that perceptions creates reality and literally by perceiving, it zaps into that. But it is fascinating. And of course, the Western science is still eons away from that coming to fruition, just like mindfulness, meditation, just became acknowledged by the Western science, which has been practiced by thousands of years in the East. So to the Buddha reference that you made, one of my favorite quotes is when Buddha, allegedly Buddha said, who knows, right? But uh, bliss is a space in between your thoughts. Any thoughts there?
1: I'm sure we've all had experiences of that space where we're not thinking. That's why I love music so much. We just got this new
0: instrument, by the way. You can see it. I know, it's cool, yeah.
1: So I'll explain this in music because there's plenty of thoughts that can exist in music. When I... To help people open their voice or like learn how to play an instrument there's i say there's two states of music either you're thinking about playing music and the thinking is it's not bad there's no bad or good here it's just you're thinking about it which means you're okay how do i do this and trying to like get your finger to go you know, get the guitar here and and maybe there's some judgment or i'm not good enough and you get frustrated and your brain's chattering and okay, i need to do that. there's the thinking state which can be good for practicing and learning and you know, kind of critiquing ourselves. And then there's a the state of flow. So if you, the Buddha thing with the flow, I would say bliss, the same kind of experience. So you use one state to get you to the other state. The thinking isn't bad because it's the thing that allows you to get into the flow state. But what a lot of people don't realize with music is like we all have music in us. And this is the way I teach music is reminding people that yes, there are skills and you can learn and practice and get really good at stuff. And I've worked with countless people who have never sang or played a a drum a day in their life. And within 10 or 15 minutes, I can get them into a flow state with music because we all have the ability to do it. Now, once they've seen that they can be in the flow state, well, then their brain might have a million new ideas and they might, oh my God, I can do this. And now I want to learn and work and do all these things. But there's this beautiful state that happens where suddenly the thinking just goes away and you're not even aware. It just suddenly you go into this time warp And you're just in this state of flow and things are coming out of you. And then the brain will find a way to slip back in at some point. And part of the flow state is learning how to stay in it longer, like we said, with the waves crashing down. But it's beautiful. And I think this ties into everything because the only issue that I see people having is thinking one state is better than the other state. This isn't just music. This is everything. I don't think we're always meant to be in flow, just like we're not always meant to be in this state of inspiration. So it's good. I like my mind. I'm not just trying to always get out of my mind. Like I, it's really a great critical thinker and it helps me understand things better, but there's always that dance because I always want to find the rhythm of, okay, I'm thinking a lot. And then I'm in that flow state. And then the flow is just me kind of being taken over by spirit and then, okay, come back to the self and, and look
0: around and try some new things and go from there. I say this to some of my friends outside of the podcast, where if we're always mindful, there is no place for mindfulness. If we're always in awe, which is inspiration by nature, there is no place for awe. We need not the polarity as, uh, per se, but you need the opposites to really highlight the sacredness of something. So I do agree that we shouldn't always be in awe, inspired, or in flow states. And that's like the two mindsets and two states you're talking about. This is a strange pivot, but it's related. Because your ability intuitively lean into the musicality that we all have. And of course, you have an intuitive music school. And I will link all the information in the show notes, of course. I do know that you're a cannabis advocate. And you have this intentional way of wielding the cannabis for certain avenues. And I'm guessing music might be one of those. But music or creativity and how can you be intentional with cannabis for those who use it a lot but then they often get locked into the couch state and they just become a potato for the next six hours
1: so this is our, our latest grow we grow outdoors in the summer yes. it's beautiful this is a ss haze it smells so lovely and magical
0: smelling through the screen right now Do you
1: smell it? yeah so yeah, we grow all our, our medicine here and cannabis has been the one through line and the reason that it's really the only thing that i work with with people now there's a lot of things coming out now with like ayahuasca where indigenous people in peru i've I've talked to some people and they're like we're running out of ayahuasca but we're like forced to sell it to westerners because that's like now how we make money but we can't grow it fast enough so to me it's like not to say you shouldn't do it but if you're doing it every week consider how much you're just taking And and a lot of ayahuasca is like okay there's this medicine and there's this beautiful grandmother spirit and i just like want to get 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 so first off cannabis is something you can grow and it's very abundant now i think a lot of the spirit of her has been removed or hidden because of the way that we perceive it like you said people getting stoned on the couch or you can go to a dispensary in colorado it's legal here i can legally grow it and um buy it and go to a dispensary and there's like a million different products and okay this one it's not just indica and sativa or hybrid it's like They each do their specific things and do you want to be happy and blissful? Do you want to do this? And it creates this concept of like, what are you going to do for me? Oh, I want to smoke this thing and I'm going to have less anxiety. I'm going to smoke this thing. I'm going to be happy or I'm going to chill out. And that to me, that is not at all how the medicine works. And if you take this approach of this is going to do something for me, you're getting rid of the sacred nature of what this plant is. This is a plant that I think that we evolved with. That's a piece of us. And we're communing with it. When I consume cannabis, it's like a dance. And I've had to learn how to work with the medicine. I don't just take it and say, okay, I want to feel this. I'm going to feel it. No. So when people smoke and they're like, oh, it gives me anxiety or it makes me paranoid. It's not the cannabis that's making you paranoid. This is just my my experience. You're already anxious. It's just 10xing whatever you're feeling. You're already paranoid. It's just 10xing that. And you can either look at that and work through it, or you can be consumed by it. So I like to create ceremonial spaces and take people on cannabis journeys, teach them how to work with it because it is something that you can go home and have your own relationship to it. You don't always have to be like working with a facilitator to do it. But I like to just give people that first nudge of like, oh, this is actually what's going on in your body. And when you think you're going into anxiousness, maybe that's just energy that needs to be moved. And let's like dance and move and and let's open our voices and feel some stuff. And what you come to see is like, Cannabis, more than anything else, and I don't want to make like super like this is the way, but from what I've seen, it has this incredible ability to integrate our teachings in the moment. So whereas like when you go to ayahuasca, like I went to Peru and I did some ceremonies, it's a heck of a journey to get down there. Dieta, it's very mindful and intentional, which I love. But then you're in the jungle, having your head blown off, and then you need to come back to society and integrate, right? And that can be really, for a lot of people, that's really jarring because they get these incredible messages, but that's not the life they're living. Whereas with cannabis, like it doesn't take you that far away. And yes, you can smoke a lot and it can become this crazy psychedelic thing. But for me still, like I can take one or two puffs and that's it. And you're able to be in this state of if I like, let's say when I was getting into the running stuff, I was, you know, mostly just running sober. But every once in a while, I would smoke a little bit and then go out on the trail. And I was able to just scan my body and notice things that I wasn't noticing before. Like, oh, I didn't realize I was breathing into that spot in my ribs or you know, I didn't realize I was being actually a little bit too tense on my feet. And in that moment, I integrate that. And then the next day when I'm running and I'm not on cannabis, it's still there. So there's something about it that's so like here that I think is really powerful.
0: Yeah. I want to highlight the medicine topic you talked about because I do view psychedelics especially, but also cannabis as medicine. And it's about the relationship with the herb and the substance. And I see all these people who do say it's, oh, it's medicinal, psychedelic medicine, cannabis medicine, plant medicine, whatever, but they do it excessively like you talked about. Yeah, but if it's truly a medicine, you don't pop ibuprofen every single day, even though it has very, very minimum adverse effect and it's pretty safe. So it's, it's an incongruence. You either believe it is medicine and you use it as medicinal, which there's a time and place and setting for, or you don't believe it's a medicine and you abuse it. But you can't live in both of them. You have to pick one.
1: Yeah, and a lot of people are in more of these spiritual conscious communities are just throwing around the term medicine. But I used to go to some of these parties and it's like, really, like cocaine at 3 a.m.? That's, your kind of medicine? <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I think that there is an interesting line where people get still a bit too. It's easy to cross that line. So with cannabis, there's something so earthly about it and simple and it doesn't have you know it's like again we grow our own stuff it's very clean simple pure made with love and intention and in the right setting it's yeah it can be really great and to your point about medicine most people are on something in this world and it gets into a bigger conversation but food is medicine too and when people cut one thing out because like i don't want to do that bad they often sacrifice the fact that they have a relationship to it i'll give you an example i've been making alcohol this is on my (laughs) label oh nice this is a wine and I haven't been an alcohol drinker other than like college pretty much in a couple years out. Like but I just never felt good with alcohol. Like I was the person who got more uncomfortable when I drank. But um, another example of like just reading signs of the universe. One day, Aja and I were out and we harvested a ton of grapes and then we reached out to a friend and she's like, hey, I have like endless amounts of grapes if you guys want to harvest them. So we had the 50 pounds of grapes and I'm like, let's try to make wine. That'd be cool. Really ever liked wine. And I started making it and I just fell in love with the process and it's shifting my relationship to it. A good example, like, you know, alcohol has been used for a long time as a medicine. And then I got out of alcohol. I started like my friend would have whiskey like, oh, you got to try it. I would take the smallest sip I could imagine possible. And the energy that you feel on your tongue is like, whoa. So when I think about people just knocking back shots, like you don't realize how much energy you're just taking back and how it's affecting you. Now, if you have a tiny little sip of it and you really feel like the, me- the medicine, the medicinal aspect of it, it can be powerful, but it, in our culture, it's gotten so overblown. So I look at it like everything is in relationship because if you say, okay, I don't like something, I'm gonna cut it out. Well, it's very easy just to replace it with something else. And food is also an addiction and food can be a positive or negative medicine depending on how we use it. So a lot of the mindful eating stuff we do with people like on our retreats is, hey, like, let's sit down. Like, I'm not going to tell you that eating waffles is bad. Like we had waffles for breakfast yesterday, but they're going to be made really well and made with love and care and good ingredients. And we're going to sit here and we're going to enjoy them. Now, if you're sitting down and you're stressed out and you're like struggling and you're working and you're shoving food down your throat, it's going to be that exact same meal is going to have a different effect on you than if you're just sitting there and you're present. And you're aware and you're chewing slowly. To me, it always comes back to that, you know, the intention of how we're experiencing something. Not so much even the what.
0: Yeah, cannabis could actually allow you to do some mindful eating. I've done it recently after I interviewed Kevin Lowe, amazing life coach and a podcast host. He's fully blind. Like he's fully blind for the past 20 years. And he's just such a gracious human. And my discoverable question, as you remember, I'll ask towards the end. But he challenged myself and the listeners to discover more about some of his reality and how he lives his life without his visions. So I actually tried out Mindful Eating to sort of lean into his lanes of experience with the help of cannabis. And it's a cool really feeling. You almost can dissect and zoom into every flavor profile ingredients. And it's pretty, pretty cool. Were you blindfolded too? No, I just closed my eyes. But I want to highlight what you said in terms of when you create space for something and by letting go of a substance, something else emerge. I feel personally attacked because that's what happened to me because I gave up alcohol for two years now. I haven't had a sip of alcohol in the past two years because it started to disturb my relational container with my fiance. Incidentally, my cannabis consumption skyrocketed uh, because I do enjoy what it feels like and I never use it as escapism. I always check myself that am I smoking right now to escape from what I'm feeling and from the reality not that escapism always bad there is a place but for me I only use it as a experience enhancer of life so with that my question is why are intentionality and authentic living so interconnected because a cannabis question is selfishly for myself because I love this topic uh, might have lost some listeners there but I do feel like being intentional And being authentic goes uh, hand to hand, and they're very, very intricately connected.
1: It's easy to have these assumptions about how we're supposed to live because we look at these rational speakers or like Buddhas and the Jesuses of the world. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's easy to get caught up in like, oh, the Buddha wore sandals and a robe. So like if I do that, you know, and smile and meditate all day, I'm going to be closer to X. But those are all like the superficial external things. That's why like the whole quote of, you know, if you see a finger pointing at the moon, don't get caught up in the finger pointing. Because I always have to check myself of like, oh, am I trying to emulate someone just because I think people will think I'm like more spiritual? So I think it's important just to share that to kind of to mention that you see that a lot. Like the reason I brought up alcohol is because we all have our own relationship to everything and we have to figure that out. But for me to give this idea that alcohol is bad and cannabis is good, even though that was honestly like cannabis for the most of my life has been this really powerful thing and alcohol has been a negative thing. But because it goes back to intentionality, I don't want to make it seem like anything is about being bad or being good because it always comes down to the relationship and the way in which we're experiencing it. If you know for sure, like, oh, when I when I experience alcohol, this is not for me. Great. Like, that's a, a good insight to have. But i have to check myself and say okay why am i doing this Um, and that's not just for alcohol or cannabis that's for everything in relationships to me like you know i have a partner now and we're deeply in love and we want to spend our life together and we're talking about having kids but we're in this process now of like that's the next thing we want to do so i'm looking at everything and being discerning about even like thinking about friends and thinking about activities and like hey and a year from now we could have a kid it's going to change things i'm not just like oh my god i need to Get everything in order and like do all the things I want to do before I have a kid like I'm ready for a kid. So I'm now like when I'm cooking I'm visualizing like there could be a kid here very soon. How is that going to change this. And I'm continuing to design my life in a way where it's like no there really isn't much change because we're already living kind of in this grounded, earth-centered way of life. So yeah, intentionality, I'm just continually thinking about if what I'm doing, does it actually make sense? I'm not gonna judge myself. I'm not gonna get mad or I shouldn't be. It's not about shoulds or shouldn't. It's like, does what I'm doing right now actually serve what I feel like I'm here to do? And if it's not, I also don't have to force myself to stop it. It's just in the awareness of it, slowly over time, things change. When we do our retreats here, we like to remind people of that it's like the sacred rest is like, don't come here to try to fix yourself. You're not broken. Even though spirituality and healing would tell you that all the marketing is like, something's wrong. You need to fix it. And that's where people get caught in the healing trap. Cause like, is your life like this? And it could be like this, you know, take this 30 day, you know, boot camp, whatever. And we'll change your life. And, and I'm like, no, nothing's wrong with you. Like the healing is always happening in every moment. So just be aware. If you have a habit that you want to change, sure, you can cut it out point blank. But you, as you see with diets and stuff, it tends to come back even more intensely. So I'm like, no, just be aware. And the more awareness you have, if you're aware of like, oh, last time I did that, it didn't feel good. All right, cool. Next time you do it, maybe you remind yourself midway through or at the beginning. And then slowly over time, you'll look back and be like, huh. I guess that used to really like get to me or that used to be a thing and now it's not. And it's like that slow and subtle. It's not sexy and like it's not something you you have an award. It's just like this really slow, simple thing that when you look back on, like, oh, wow, I've actually come really far. That's freaking cool.
0: Yeah, I think the undercurrent of that is authentic living, which I do feel like you embody and represents exceptionally well, both online and offline. At least from my exposure and my knowledge of who you are, Yashua. It's all made up. (laughs) (laughs) It's all infomercials (laughs) and facade. And this is, it just hit me, but super quickly. It's crazy that in the 90s, because I'm a 90s child, you know what infomercials look like based on the archetypes and stereotypes and the format. But now it permeates through everything. Everything's infomercial, spirituality, healing especially. And I'm a mental health advocate and psychotherapist. So that's something I'm also cautioning myself against that don't fall into the over pathologizing of my patients and clients because clients are never the problem. The problem are the problem.
1: From that state, you realize it is not you. This is like the thing we're talking about with like the victim mentality. It's like, it's not you. This thing may have happened to you and you can look at it and you can work through it and make sense of it but it doesn't mean that it's just this like tattooed thing on your back and you're branded like that forever something that you experience and on the once you've made your way through it it's much easier to see and look back on but in the moment it can feel like that's all there is that's why there's little slow subtle changes it's not I'm sure like you see it's not just like one session with the client and then they have their breakthrough and then they're done it's like it's a long period of like we we have many times we have the same breakthrough and the same aha moment until uh, there's a Aja says a lot. She's like, it's our resistance to healing that takes a long time, but the actual like healing is, is quick because it's like this long process, almost like tension and release where we're like working through it and having the breakthroughs. And then like, we think it feels like this quick thing, but it's actually been like years often of like working on all this stuff. And then when we finally get it, it's like, the, the the release has kind of happened and you look back and you're like, oh yeah, cool. that's Wow, that
0: used to really bother me and it doesn't anymore. Yeah, it's like the tipping point where once you break through, it's a brand new world, but it's not just the tipping point. It's the process, of course. We're definitely towards the end of the episode and I do want to be respectful of our time so that I can chat with you offline after the show for a little bit longer. But I know one of the projects you're currently working on and I want to bring this in the full circle in terms of meaning making process and finding our new more aligned self so you're writing a novel right now Joshua, called sun and the search for something i want to end today's episode with a heavy hitter and loaded question not that all my previous questions were loaded what is it that you're searching
1: i mean i can't i don't want to give away the book Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but i think it's our big concept in the book and my original intention for writing it which has changed a lot was you know, I started writing it during the pandemic, and I was noticing, going back to your question about how do you deal with people of different views and things like that, just how everybody had their way of making sense of what was going on, and their beliefs and struggles and fear. And I wanted to write a book with all these different characters that were going through and it's a, it's, you know, a fictional story but I wanted to write a book about all these different characters going through a, some sort of great change something like catastrophic that's affecting everybody and just show how different people handle things and to create some level of empathy of like everybody is searching for something and there's a connection to what it is. So we can look at the individuals and choose who to side with, or we can actually see that everyone's just human. And the reason that they are who they are is because of everything that's ever happened to them. And it's like, in a way it's really just that simple. And when you see that, there's an immense amount of understanding and empathy and an ease that starts to come in the world. You're like, oh, wow, okay. They're just like, they are just like me. And I've had so many experiences in my life. I feel like I've lived a million lifetimes and interacted with so many people that are so different. But when I get to that core level of who they are,
0: it's always the same thing. It's like, oh, cool. We're actually the same. Yeah. I think some onions have more layers than the others. But when you unpeel the layers, they're all onions. One we're all left crying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love the food analogy because you're an exceptional chef, of course. But yeah, that's one of my main mission statements in life, especially on the podcast. Not only to highlight the equation that mental health equals health, but also that this is a collective journey we're all on and we're all part of this entity called humanity. And we all are born the same way and we all are dying and we all die the same way. And of course, there's a lot of gap in between those two processes. But yeah, I hope that we as a society, especially in America, we can move past this point of contention and this inflection point, and we can all come together in a more harmonic and peaceful way. But of course, that's a pretty grand wish. But I have to say that for myself because I've gotten more and more cynical even after I departed from the policymaking sector years ago.
1: Can I end with a question for you or just the viewers to ponder? You know, so much, I was talking about the healing trap earlier and like just this growth and trying to fix. And and I think people often forget like, what would it actually be like to be healed? Not to say that there is a specific place or destination, but to stop and consider
0: like, what would it actually be like to just be done? I would like to, and I seek to highlight the relationship between healing and the optimal human experience that we call life. That's literally part of my uh, podcast introduction. And what I mean by that is, as you said, healing is not the end journey. Meditation is not the end journey. I was able to move through my sexual trauma that I first time openly disclosed in the show uh, since my mid-20s, and I've healed through it through psilocybin therapy, actually, in 2017, which is why I deeply believe in the medicinal power and the capacity of psychedelics. But my journey and my goal wasn't to just move past it. It's so that I can get recommitted into a safe and healthy and sustainable long-term relationship that I am now through my engagement with my fiance. So that to me is what healing is like. It's not to be healed for the sake of, but then my life is improved upon based on some of my biggest insecurities and trauma points. And so that to me is what healing is. which. Perfectly segues into my, this question. What is in domain in your life you're interested and curious to discover more about after this very fluid, intentional, and insightful conversation with you today?
1: I think I have a tendency, like with wanting to leave Instagram and, and get off social media, um, there's a part of me that has this tendency just to see some of this stuff as pointless. But I do genuinely enjoy having conversations like this. And I would be glad to have more. And I think issue that I have with social media is like the one wayness of it, especially on Instagram where everything feels like it's selling to you or either it's like cryptic as though it's a vulnerable post, but it's still really selling, you know? There's always that pitch at the end um, after a vulnerable share. And that just kind of has been a bit of a turnoff to me, um, even though I get why people do it. But getting to have this type of connection is something that I really enjoy. So I'm just going to set that intention for the universe to do more things in the space. Just keep sharing. Yeah, It it is nice to have conversations with other people. Um, And Benoit, it's always a pleasure to talk to you and just see where you're at. And just a a bit of an aside, you were talking about the sexual trauma thing in 2017 and psilocybin and now being in a relationship and engaged and and I'm in a very similar position. So I also had a, around that time, psilocybin journey and healed some sexual trauma and now Engaged to someone I really love and so maybe in our third podcast if that, if that happens someday we can talk more on that too because I really think that creating sacred partnership and relationships to me right now in the world is something that feels really important to just bring and, and bring more love into that and that's why I'm excited to be a father because I want to be able to see what that's like to raise a child from this state and to see how that might you know inspire other people
0: Yeah, I appreciate you uh, sharing and I just got some goosebumps moments, not because of the similarly vulnerable experiences without a sales pitch at the end, of course, but I love relationships, especially as a therapist, because I truly believe that no other container besides relational container, especially romantically, reveals more about oneself. Because relationship is a reflection of your relationship with your oneself, and that gets projected into with others. But often a lot of us struggle to embrace and accept the good part, the bad part, and the ugliness of ourselves. That's why often we hold others to a high and often unrealistic unrealistic expectations to embrace us for who we are. My question then is, if we can't accept and embrace all of us, the good, the good, the bad, and the ugly, how can others embrace you for that? And to tie that into that's what healing is for me. It improves relationships in life, but we will definitely have a part three. And when that happens, I would love to dive much deeper into so many other aspects of your life and based on what chapters in life I'm at. But I really appreciate you for your time as always. And you're someone that I really respect from afar. And I would love to meet you in person in Colorado since I do visit there quite often for skiing. But yeah, you really represent authentic living, especially in this era of social proof where everything's about proof, everything's about accolades and achievements. And of course, you've achieved and undergone most of that at such a young age or younger age. But curious what I roll out the red carpet for you, Yashua. Where can people check out your Sacred Rest Retreats, the novel you're writing, and five other free books you already published, and anything in between?
1: Yeah, uh, thank you for sharing all that stuff. I appreciate it. And Anytime you're in Colorado, let me know. i got an extra room for you. Yeah, if you go to youenjoylife.us, I have a just a simple website there where it's just sort of like what are you interested in? Um and there you can get all my books. You can get the physical copy and buy it or you can just get a free ebook version. Conversations with your best friend, cooking with your best friend, walking barefoot with your best friend, dancing with your best friend, they're all kind of the same concept of taking off the false layers of self to, you know, access these different gifts that we have in our life. But you can find everything there as well as stuff about personal retreats and Yada, yada, yada. If you feel inspired by this conversation, I'm sure you'll do some digging. I've actually I've seen that as something on social media for myself. Personally, it's easy to want to just like feel like we need to tell people like, hey, come check this thing out. But I found like if, if I'm inspired by somebody, I'll I'll find their stuff. I'll go digging.
0: It's also for non viewers. Joshua literally had to spend two seconds to look up his own website because he is so not used to selling. I genuinely love that part about you, and even a year ago, he did offer all those books for free. Yeah, like I said, Joshua's uh, persona online and his actual character—there's minimum to zero gap in between. And of course, we're all in this process of growth and process together. Any parting words for the listeners before we wrap this episode to a harmonic and peaceful close?
1: Music speaks way more than I ever could so i have to say about that wow
0: mic drop no added notes to that but to all the listeners, I know Joshua just said that it's better for you to do your own digging, but I have to do my due process. But yeah, for any listeners who learns anything, who discover something more practical to take home to, discover toolkits and insights that you think could improve your life upon immediately. I would love for you to share this episode with one friend. If you're watching on YouTube, please hit that subscribe button, like and share. That really inspires me to grow the show to invite and reach out to fascinating guests like yoshua as the show grows more and more but as always i tremendously appreciate your time your energy and for you to revisit me just some 29 year olds talking to amazing folks online week after week and whenever you guys reach out to me via instagram it really makes my day more than any other milestones or analytics that i hit with that uh, that is it for this week's train of discover more and as always, hope to see you on the side of curiosity and healing. As always, see you next time.